Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is July 18th and we got a big day of news. We got Uniswap announcement, we got Hector Finance rage quitting, and we got a bunch of other stuff. But before we got there, we have Dan from Pendle here, who is here to uh, talk about their latest announcement, which is Pendle Earn. So welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I saw that you guys had a big Twitter announcement today. What's going on? What is Pendlearn? And uh, what are you guys excited about it? Yeah, so just a brief overview about Pendle. We are a yield trading protocol. Uh, what you can do on Pendle is basically trade yield. And part of it is getting fixed yield on any assets uh, on chain. Um, so what Pendle Earn is, is basically bringing the decentralized exchange earn product, something similar like that, and bringing it uh, on chain. And we're providing a very simple solution for users to get fixed yield uh, on Pendle by utilizing you know, most of the yield sources um, in DeFi, tokenizing them and creating a principle, tokenizing the yield, trade the yield away and creating a principal token out of it. Now, those are all big words to understand, but um, Pendle Earn is a much simplified UI for users to get fixed yield. But beyond that, it is kind of a narrative shift for us to use to pitch to centralized parties to utilize Pendle to use for their own Earn products and to basically use Pendle as a proxy for their own um, fixed yield for their users. I think let me go back. Shell, that's so much it. It's a it's a very simplified like one click uh, earning solution where anybody can come along and and what assets would they deposit? Would that be like ETH or stable coins or so uh, just like just like most earned products on centralized exchanges, um, they have earned products on USDT on ETH on anything. Um, you can deposit pretty much anything and it'll be converted to whatever uh, pools you choose to be part uh, to be part of. To start off, we'll mostly launch with uh, LST pools and over time mm -hmm. it's pretty much very easy for us to onboard all the assets that's currently supported on Pendle, including LP tokens. If you want to fix, get fixed yield on LP tokens or pools on Aura or pretty much any yield-bearing assets you can think of, GLP included, um, can be plugged into, into Pendle Earn. So how is the, okay, so when people deposit their funds in here, say they're either retail or treasuries or institutionals and stuff, uh, they're essentially taking the fixed yield side of Pendle. Yes. And then uh, traders who want to take some exposure can take the, the floating rate and yes. essentially uh, gamble on like whether rates are going to go up or down. Yep. So have you seen a tendency of like, traders on pendle are they more inclined to 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 take the fixed rate or have they been more inclined to go after those those floating rates there are both sides to it but so far mm -hmm. depending on the asset uh, it depends on the asset but so far mostly we see people are more comfortable in getting the floating part of the asset because that pretty much gives you a kind of like sort of a leverage exposure on yield because you're buying a yield yeah. portion and yield is cheap um, but that's mainly because I'd say most of our participants are still in smaller bags and they are higher, they, they have a higher risk appetite and are more, more comfortable in purchasing, um, yield portion. That's that we are in talks with more, uh, I would say bigger players that are looking into, um, bigger buys for a fixed yield, but yeah, there's, uh, a lot of them are still waiting. Yeah. Fixed yield is, is a little bit better for like large scale treasury management yeah. where you can 
yeah, you can use those to essentially guarantee the revenues that are coming in and plan around that and uh, understand your, your like income over the next, you know, six months or year, however long it is. Yeah, for sure. Most of the people we talk to that are interested in fixed yield are mostly people like uh, treasury, such funds. Um, the bigger players are most more interested in uh, the fixed yield portion. Although some of them have expressed interest in um, dabbling into yield trading, but most of them so far has been, you know, looking into either LP or fixed yield. But just uh, the thing with our panel earn back then was it's quite difficult for them to understand a concept of getting fixed yield on Pendle. They have to go, okay, back mm -hmm. then we had a pro UI, which means you have to understand how the principal token work. And then it leads to how understanding how the AMM works, leads to understanding how redemption works and all, all of these complex, complex stuff, which usually is a big turnoff. And um, on, on the compliance side, it's a little bit hard for them to understand. I think Pendle Earn simplifies that uh, a little bit further, and it makes our life easier as well to pitch uh, Pendle Earn product to, you know, most of these bigger players. Mm -hmm. So, who's like the uh, main audience of Pendle Earn? Like, how does it uh, does it come for like, from like a new angle that you guys have on uh, how you can onboard uh, a new audience, new users, less sophisticated uh, users, maybe, or how do you see that? You mean at the moment our user profile or what are we targeting moving forward? I mean, yeah, I mean, who you're targeting with uh, Pendle Earn because I'm feeling that it's a bit different than the people that are already co uh, currently using uh, the DAP. Yeah, so uh, I can show you at the moment how our uh, audience demography is like and what we are moving uh, with, with Pendle Earn and what we are focusing on. So at the moment, uh, just by purely stalking addresses that are that have interacted with Pendle, they're mostly sophisticated users. Um, they've executed different crazy strategies on other perps, um, on they've interacted with other more complex protocols, I would say. So I would say these people are more sophisticated DeFi users or funds. Um, actually, we have a thing called Pendle Priority. Uh, if you deposit like pretty high amount on Pendle, a pop-up will pop up. Pendle priority, and that's how we connect to our bigger uh, bigger players in our uh, in our app. And yeah, those are some pretty some pretty interesting stuff there. We've managed to get connected to quite a lot of these big players. So we try to. Uh, I would say most of the deposits are from bigger players, but most of the attention and hype and smaller number deposits are still you know are still the majority of people. But in terms of fund size, most of it are from. Uh, institutions, but we can't really pinpoint uh, who these people uh, who these people are. But that's how we Pendle Earn. I think it's a sim both a simplification of narrative, targeting the more retail folks. But I think more importantly for Pendle Earn, we are using this as kind of like a narrative for other centralized parties. For example, other Earn products from centralized exchanges to use Pendle as a proxy to provide uh, fixed for their own users. Poor example, but it's somewhat like Gemini using Celsius uh, for Gemini Earn back then. For example, oh, I know, but yeah, it's something that's something exactly like uh, Gemini using. For sure. <laughs> I think for, for Pendle, the, I mean, to be fair, we are an earned product on-chain. So any action for Pendle Earn can be tracked on-chain. So feel free to have a look into how we enable fixed yield. Yeah, but I think it's so, a good example with the name and all, because Gemini's product was also called the uh, Earn, correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're calling it that so, just draw a very easy parallel to earn products because we're trying yeah, to mimic that similar UX. It's a very simple and mm -hmm. uh, catchy name. And that's why I thought that uh, you probably guys are uh, aiming at uh, like, you know, uh, like the way I imagine it when I first uh, hear it. And of course, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, 
you know, I want uh, the minimum amount of uh, buttons and uh, things to press on when I uh, come with my uh, assets. Like, I don't want, yeah. uh, I think the normal uh, DeFi user, the normal retail DeFi user, honestly, like the normal bank user, uh, we don't want to know anything, to be honest. Like, yeah. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying it's the reality. The reality is that people don't want to know anything. They want some uh, party that they trust to offer them a service in which they put one click and get maximum yield. And that's about uh, 95% of the user. That's all they care about, in my opinion. For sure. Honestly, I don't, honestly, I think most of most users in DeFi in general are institutions and big funds. But the biggest noise are made from these retails. And if you target these retails to make your noise for you, then you get your name out. You get, you get your name out and people start taking, taking attention. And um, they start coming in and start creating that uh, flywheel. I think that's kind of the playbook that most uh, DeFi projects are going for. So what are the risks of depositing funds into Pendle Earn? Sure. Uh, there, I think, okay, so simply put, what, what happens when you deposit funds to Pendle Earn? You're buying a principal token. You can think of principal token as like a zero coupon bond of that asset. So imagine mm -hmm. a bond uh, with, with a coupon, you strip the coupon away, you left a zero coupon bond and just a coupon payments. Now, this zero coupon bond or the principal token itself can fluctuate over time based on people's perception of um, yield. If people think yield is going to fall, the uh, yield is going to fall, the, this, this coupon bond is going to rise in terms of price. So if you enter before the yield falls, you win. But if people think the yield is going to rise, the price of the bond is going to fall, the principal token price is going to fall, then you lose. But at the end of the day, if you hold the zero coupon bond till maturity, you'll repay the principal amount, which is essentially a fixed yield. So for panel earnings, it's pretty much the same thing. If you deposit until maturity, you get fixed yield. The thing is, uh, most of the assets that Spendle support are pretty stable in, uh, yield, in yield terms. So a lot of them are uh, LST yields, which I think are pretty stable. So you wouldn't see pretty crazy fluctuations on yield. And I think, you know, over time, the yield movement for uh, the principal tokens or rather your deposits on Pendle earn would be pretty stable. Kind of like okay. mimicking a, a, like a zero coupon bond movement. So the the people who are entering into the earn product, do they, are they choosing a duration when they deposit? For sure, for sure. Just like most fixed yield products, there will be a, there will be a maturity where you, uh, you know, where, where you opt into. And I think this is this comes in, uh, ver so, something that we are trying to build in as well. If you have a, if you have different maturities of the same asset, you're basically creating a yield curve or like a risk profile of that asset. Mm -hmm. And if you think STETH is like the de facto yield for DeFi, then we're pretty much creating a treasury yield curve on DeFi, you know what I mean? So it's something that we're trying to build uh, by extending, we have STETH maturity, so up to 2027, I think. Um, and yeah, just trying to build out that uh, yield curve. And once the curve takes shape, we can start uh, you know, using this as sort of a clear metric for uh, institutions to come on board and use that as, uh, I think it's a pretty good narrative for us to move towards. But that also depends on the deepening of the, the liquidity and make sure, you know, the principal tokens for the STE deals are liquid enough for people to come in and trade. Interesting, yeah. So I, I think that's, I think it's going to be an interesting product because uh, like when you, when you talk about the protocol so far, uh, I know you guys are probably looking at metrics. Um, would you say that the variable rates have been either like overpriced or underpriced 
at uh, at this time relative to to what uh, like the, the the volatility pricing should be? For sure. Um, personally, I, I I can't really speak on the market, but I don't think the market, the yield market, are that efficient at the moment. I don't think informed traders are here yet, except for two main markets, our STE yields and GLP yields. Um, the GLP yields have been very our most active pool so far, just because the, it's rather predictable because they take historical mm -hmm. fees from the past week and then um, you know, distribute it in the, the, the week, the, the epoch or the week after. And people mm -hmm. kind of speculate on the yield next week. And people have been doing it uh, on Pendle, trying to you know make an educated guess on where the yield is coming. Uh, if a yield trading channel on Discord and it's been very active and just people speculating on where GLP yield is going to be and uh, placing their bets on uh, the yield, yield positions. So that has been pretty informed. But on most of our other markets, we haven't really seen uh, informed traders coming in. So I would say the yield sometimes underpriced, sometimes, sometimes overpriced, and sometimes uh, you see players who only dabble in GLP yields start coming in to correct the market on uh, other markets uh, a little bit here and there. But again, it's still not the, the most efficient market. Yeah. And what I was getting at is that with the with the earn product bringing in uh, more fixed yield rates, it'll essentially help uh, like level and distribute uh, a lot of that inefficiency. So when you have when you have someone else who essentially is always going to be taking the other side of the market, it'll help correct a lot of those those pricing issues, especially for like larger funds who may not be looking at certain markets at the moment. For sure. Uh, I think, okay, so one of our problems is that because initially I was mentioning that um, people are more comfortable in buying YT or like the yield portion, especially on a yield. We don't really have enough people getting uh, buying the fixed yield portion. And with Pendle Earn, creating that demand on, on one side, uh, well, the, the other side of demand is already present. So hopefully we start to see more uh, back and forth interaction between uh, between the two. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I think uh, this is going to be an uh, interesting project to see how it rolls out. And um, when when is it going to go live? It is already live. Oh, it's already live. It oh, just wow. went live. <laughs> like, it just announced it an hour ago. Uh, and it, just, it went live an hour ago. Uh, so what, what are the rates right now for the products that you have? Ooh, uh, I'll have I'll have to have a look at the app. But um, there's some interesting rates. So on USDT, you have 3.5% fixed yield. Uh, on SFREX ETH, you have close to 7% fixed yield. And mm. on STE, uh, still different numbers. I think a wrap STE, I think at the moment is 3.6%. Uh, well, GLP is about 15%. They, uh, I think the yield right now on the GLP pool and the STE pool kind of are kind of efficient because um, there are quite a few informed traders out there. Mm -hmm. But on other pools, just... you can find more interesting stuff. Yeah. By the way, then uh, I don't know. Maybe you mentioned it, and I didn't uh, notice. Uh, is the new Earn product uh, audited? And if so, uh, by whom? The Earn product is uh, the Earn product is ex used the exact same contract as our trade. It's a UI shift where it will simplify all of the complex stuff understanding into a very simple interface for users to to use. So the it's still still the same bunch of auditors. So it's. I would say, it's a, it's a, it, I wouldn't call it a UI repackage, but it is essentially a UI repackage of the pro UI to simplify everything into a very easy interface. So there's no contract changes out there. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's that's kind of what you need to do sometime. I mean, you look at the popular products in DeFi, 
have always been like you're in finance or uh, like Aave or Compound where you For just sure. deposit and you get a yield, right? You don't yeah. really have to like worry about anything. You don't have to really understand what happens behind the scene to use it. I think a good example would be a lot of the perps protocol. I don't uh, personally, I don't. I'm not really familiar on how exactly they enable perps trading. Um, some, 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 are, some of the interesting ones is for sure like GMX and the GLP pools. But a lot of the perp products, I just use them. I don't really know how they how they work behind the scenes, but I just use them. Mm -hmm. and I think that's where that's where we're trying to like draw inspiration from. You know, people can just use Pendle without actually knowing how it works behind the scenes and how we enable that on chain. And is this is this just going to be on? Uh... Ethereum and Arbitrum, or is this? Are you guys deploying this to? We are everyone? fully crushing compatible, so including mm -hmm. V Pendle uh, on the boosting and voting side. So pretty much the whole protocol is uh, crushing compatible. We are at at the moment we are on Ethereum, Arbitrum, and BNB chain, but um, there are quite a few exciting chains coming up, and we're probably exploring that side as well. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, I I think. Uh... Gonna have to go check it out and see how it works and uh we can move on to some less interesting news for the day so <laughs> <laughs> oh i appreciate uh, i appreciate ours being the most interesting one well people that were trying to compete uh this may have been a uh a wolf in sheep's clothing as some characterized it but yesterday uniswap announced the uh upcoming launch of uniswap x which is a auction-based trading protocol it takes inspiration from CowSwap and OneInch. So uh, Uniswap is essentially designing a system <clears throat> that allows for non-custodial Dutch auction-based trading uh, for EVM uh, networks. And essentially, this just aggregates both on-chain and off-chain liquidity uh, and essentially formalizes the MEV regime so that... Uh, the change is simple. So if you were trading before on Uniswap, uh, your order would be routed through one of the many LP pools. So you want to trade from ETH to USD, you would make an order. You would, sorry, first you would approve that contract using permit. And then after that, you would swap through that uh, pool that Uniswap routes you through. In the new system, Uniswap is going to be using uh, what they call fillers, which can be both on-chain and off-chain liquidity. Uh, who then uh, essentially fill the orders for the swappers. So uh, it's it's going to look a little bit different, right? So now if you're a swapper, you will come and you'll uh, approve the contract with permit to, uh, and that allows for off-chain signatures uh, to be executed. And so what this allows for is the, the, the filler, the person who has the liquidity to come in and swap your assets for you at, at no gas cost, to the swapper. So say you don't have any Ethereum, say you don't have any like Matic or what, whatever kind of asset you want, uh, that's fine. You don't need any more. Now the, the filler can come in and take your asset, swap it for you, minus the gas fees, and then deposit it back. And uh, this, is, this is interesting, right? Because it's a lot like what I said, CowSwap and OneInch have already done. Uh, but I'm sure that that because it has the Uniswap brand, it's going to see new and revolutionary, and people are going to be talking a lot about it. And we also saw some uh, criticism on it. Uh, do you see the tweet I've uh, sent you? Yeah, I'll pull that up. That was there was actually I actually saw a lot. Of, yeah. <laughs> of uh, like this specific one because it was actually from uh, Care Finance, and it kind of made mm -hmm. me uh, understand on how uh, some uh, of the people in the market uh, see this development by uh, Uniswap with the Uniswap X. 
and they do not see it, uh, it's just like you've uh, mentioned it uh, in your intro, it's not exactly 100% Uniswap innovation uh, going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dan also said a cross-protocol as well too, so which has ch- cross-chain optimistic swaps. So it seems that in this new version of DeFi that we're heading into for 2023, everybody's just taking each other's ideas yeah. and then aggregating yeah. it into their products and then rebranding it and calling it something new. Oh, and then maybe throwing some licenses on top so that it's uh, non-usable. So. The license part might be a little bit too much, but I think the cross-innovation part is something that um, we personally are a big fan of. Uh, there might be some yeah, I think controversies it- here and there, but I think they're taking innovation. It's pretty cool. I think uh, even Unity 4 took inspiration from uh, Balancer's uh, uh, implementation. And mm-hmm. Balancer is also taking Unity 3's uh, work to move to concentrated liquidity plus hooks for Balancer v, v whatever. And I think everyone is pretty much taking inspirations from everyone. Yeah, well, I think this uh, line of uh, taking inspiration, uh, the line between taking inspiration and copying is something that's going to be a bit uh, blurry. And I think it's going to create all kinds of uh, like uh, tensions uh, within the ecos- within the grand ecosystem. Because I don't think that everyone's going to like sure. uh, this, uh, this paradigm, you know? Yeah. So Mr. Uh, Mr. Crypto Cat, who runs Unfolded, uh, put out a set of tweets going through the uh, the Uniswap X white paper. He says it's going to be the first nail in the coffin for passive LPs. But he said it was very bullish for Uni, though. Uh, he talks about the idea of these fillers that we just talked about. Uh, also, that uh, there's some cool stuff that's going to be happening. But his, his take is that they don't mention LPs in here. Everything's about fillers. Everything's about either MEV cartels or uh, off-chain liquidity sitting in, sitting in sexes. Uh, that it, it essentially, if you run a centralized exchange now and you have all of these assets that you're sitting on, uh, you can essentially now market make from your, from your sex treasury uh, into Uniswap now, fulfill off-chain orders and realize a profit, uh, all while not having to either deposit funds into Uniswap LP uh, or take that you know, like, uh, durational contract risk of having funds there. Uh, now you can just sit on those assets and be a filler, which is, or, or you like offload that to like an MEV searcher, uh, partner with them, and then they can become that filler. Uh, one thing that is interesting is that uh, Uniswap governance does have the ability to charge up to uh, five basis points, uh, the same fee as Uniswap v2 on the output of each Uniswap x swap. Who knows if they ever turn it on, but this might be a uh, a better way to to turn on the fee switch. So instead of turning it on LPs, you turn it on the fillers who just bake it into their MEV searching prices. And it's a little bit less like testy than, than, uh, than doing it directly to the LPs, right? Politically, I think like LPs are a lot of retail sometimes and they're not the most sophisticated uh, users. Uh, but the Uniswap X users are 100% going to be fully sophisticated, all institutional. Yeah. And so charging them a five basis point fee probably is a little bit less uh, or more palatable. Uh, I think yeah. this brings market making off-chain to on-chain. It's going to question the definition of automated market makers entirely because it's just bringing traditional market makers on-chain by letting them act as fillers again. But, I mean, to be fair, they have been sort of deepening liquidity even on-chain. 
by R being the price uh, on chain and off chain and sexist, but I think this just pretty much simplifies all the entire pro uh, the entire process by just removing the LP equation entirely by having them executing the uh, trades on your behalf as fillers. So it gives power back to MMs, uh, in my opinion. I don't know how good that is because, I mean, the, if you believe that the entire de ethos of DeFi is just liberating access of, um, you know, these yields to retails, then this might be iffy. But I think overall for the entire market, I think this would de deepen the overall liquidity for, for traders. Yeah, we actually covered this. There was a really nice post that came out the other day uh, by OX8B1 or A1B. And uh, he essentially went into and explained like a five thread about how this works. So this, this is on the left is an order book of Binance. And we've all seen these types of order books. And on the right uh, is a MEV boost uh, chart for the upcoming block. And essentially what this chart is showing is the, the blue line here is the uh, price on Ethereum. The yellow line is the price on Binance. And as they diverge more and more, the boost or sorry, the bids for uh, MEV boost for the next block so that the person can execute in that block gets higher and higher and higher. Uh, and so like this is this is almost quite inefficient because the Ethereum blocks only happen, what, like once every 12 to 14 seconds or like uh, seven seconds or something like that. So on Binance, the order book is firing off trades at what, thousands of times a second, even more, right? Because it's able to do these uh, very high frequency trades. And so it's, it's very inefficient for market makers to uh, provide or essentially like take liquidity from uh, Uniswap. They have to uh, bid on it. They have to go through this MEV process. So by formalizing that regime and moving it into a, a product like Uniswap X, you're essentially uh, taking the inefficiencies that these MEV searchers and block builders are already dealing with and essentially moving it into a, a uh, more defined space that provides for better price execution and uh, also allows for like full institutional and professionalization of the uh, liquidity space. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Getting a space for people to come in to just uh, MEV market make on your user's behalf. Yeah, it's not like I, this was always bound to happen, right? Because inefficiencies in the market are always going to get developed out. And, uh, you know, the the nice run that we had where you could be a passive LP and make a ton of money and everything was great and DeFi summer was booming and you just make like shed loads of cash. Uh, that was all going to get torn away. And uh, now we're moving towards the place where like you have to run a like full strategy through using MEV that to, to be profitable now, for unless sure. you're running like, but these are only for like the larger assets. If you're still LPing in the smaller, like, like, tokens anything with like small market cap then you could probably still make a profit you just have to be understand what you're doing so um but it's better for like the high-end liquidity so what are your thoughts on why this hasn't the product hasn't didn't really fly from cowswap and uh the other mev mev based uh swapping protocol uh, probably because like CowSwap just doesn't get the amount of users that the Uniswap website does. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the... 
it's hard to tell. So I, I think I think there's two things, right? So when you go to you can use CalSwap right now when you go to DeFi Llama. It's one of the options that they always provide you. But if you use it once, especially when you're like a retail person who just wants their swap done now and doesn't really care about paying the fees, uh, you probably just take the the top order, right? Instead of having to like wait. Sometimes it can take a while. You have to wait for your the, the price to move through your bid, essentially. And I think a lot of people are just impatient and would rather just have liquidity on demand. For sure. You know, it's so much easier to trade on Uniswap than on another DEX because of the name, because of the moat, you know? Uh, it's just, uh, it's a much easier decision for uh, folks because they feel it's safer. Uh, not necessarily uh, meaning that it's actually uh, true and safer, like you never know, but, uh, you know, it has, the, it has this aura of uh, Uniswap. So it's uh, mm-hmm. m- much easier to connect the wallet uh, to the DAP that you're already used to and then try it there instead of uh, like going to smaller depths, at least for most users, I think. Yeah, we'll see how this rolls out. I think it's one of the bigger stories coming up, uh, especially I think the interesting thing is just that they're how they're pairing everything together. So if you think about how Uniswap 4 is going to work, Uniswap X, and then how Uniswap X is going to enable uh, this like cross-chain uh, swaps, like atomic cross-chain swaps, uh, like the amount of arbitrage opportunities that are going to open up is is pretty ridiculous. And especially when you combine that with with like sex liquidity, uh, we could be seeing like a huge revolution in the market making space that has just not been we, uh, hard to hard to process now. But it could be in for something pretty awesome. Very excited to see uh, Jump taking over the whole market making space again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Hector Dow is uh go liquidating okay so hector dow was a i believe it was a ohm fork that launched on phantom uh they got a ton of assets in and they say now that due to the recent multi-chain hack and its unfortunate impact on the phantom ecosystem especially in the stablecoin market they regret to inform that hector network has suffered significant damage to its ability to its op- to operate uh, the team took risk management and loss reduction steps to ensure that the loss to the treasury is reduced as much as possible. Uh, despite that, there is 15 million in treasury assets and 1 million HEC tokens for the treasury. And so they put up a vote on Snapshot on July 15th. It ended yesterday, and there were two options. The first one was liquidation of the Hector network and the redemption of the HEC token against the funds in the treasury or the migration of the HEC network to a different chain that would be decided later. And the overwhelming majority of HEC voted to liquidate. And uh, we had another post in here that we just uh, put up where uh, there was some pushback against this move. So Hector Network had over $100 million in assets (laughs) at one point. And they lost $8 million in the multi-chain uh, fiasco. And now they're proposing a rage quit. And the, the HEC token has lost uh, 99% of its value amid the governance crisis. It just seems like it's a, a mess over there. Wow. We should have uh, yeah. Drezer uh, back on. We had him a while back, remember, to talk about it? Uh, that's right. Yes, we did. We, we talked about it like a month or two ago, didn't we? Yeah. 
this is, the, this is kind of crazy, you know, like uh, this is like the story of how money evaporates, you know, and then all of a sudden, oh, I remember this, yes. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, that's liquid. You know what? Let's rage quit, like you said. I remember this. Weren't they spending like ungodly amounts of money on like random things? Like, like, yeah, I think so. But like you said, you know, they had like a hundred million in treasury. But when we discussed it about like uh, a month and some, uh, a month or so ago, it was like uh, already in around 20 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now there's another hack on uh, Phantom. Like, oh my God. Like this, it just gets, it just keeps getting worse uh, over there. And by the way, this, this uh, liquidation of us, this actually means that uh, the users can actually like uh, get something back and like the project just uh, dissolves. That's what it actually means. Yes. Yeah. They had, had, so they had, they took in, they were, they had, sorry, they had taken in over a hundred million dollars in assets. That was how big their own treasury had gotten to. Home folks uh, on the home folks uh, season, you know. They just got, uh, you'd get a hundred million uh, pretty quickly back then. Yeah. So I remember this one. They were like spending ungodly amounts of money on all these different projects. They were trying to, they were paying huge salaries. I think they were paying like $12 million a year in salaries at one point. Uh, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not, uh, again, maybe not uh, very politically correct what I'm about to say, but that's kind of a slow rug uh, mentality. Not even that slow, exactly. you know, like $12 uh, million dollars a year. Like, I don't know what's going on on Pendle, uh, for example, but I doubt that uh, salaries are $12 million dollars, uh, a year. Not even close. Yeah, Not I kind of I kind of doubt I, that. I, but I, I have to be on your side, though. I don't, I don't think it's something rude to say, but... 12, 12 mil a year is a slow rock on your treasury. Yeah, exactly. And then to go from 100 million down to 15 is in like a, a year, right? Like gone. Honestly, it's like, <laughs> it's like traditional startups getting VC money and just enjoying a lavish life from, from VC money. Um, but instead of VC money, you're taking exactly. the public's money over here, uh, which I think might, and arguably might be a little bit more unethical here, but it's, it's crypto. So anything can happen. Yeah, so back in August 2022, the Hector Network partnered with Borussia Dortmund uh, mm-hmm. in a highly visible uh, football advertisement where they became the primary partner for that. And I believe they paid like 10 or $15 million for that advertisement. It did nothing. and They just lost money. Insane. <laughs> Insane. At least uh, Borussia so, Dortmund earned from it. You say that uh, like the main beneficiary of uh, Hector Dow is Borussia Dortmund, uh, getting some new players. Yeah, exactly. So in other news, we have the uh, Maple Finance has announced uh, H2 plans to come up. They're going to be scaling for institutions. That seems okay. Maple's kind of like on the rebound since the whole like FTX thing and... Uh, they uh, they had some bad debt that came through, but you know, Maple product, I, I guess, and like the totality is a is a good idea, like lending your on chain assets to off chain or not off chain, but to like funds and other market makers to go use. Uh, seems seems like that'll continue to go. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh yeah, uh, did you guys are you keeping up with the whole Arkham Intel fiasco? I didn't see anything on the, uh, yesterday. What is this? What is? It? Well, it's ongoing. I mean, they're trying to renew their position, but they announced this Arch- Arkham Oracle, which is like a, they've integrated ChatGPT into their product, essentially. 
So here, what were the FTX employer's largest transactions? And it like you you can pull it up. So essentially, it's like a uh, language model that's applied to their their data sets. Pretty nice, actually. I would like to see more products, especially more like intelligence products, have this. It's a good feature. It does. Um, yeah. Oh, we've there's some chain link news, but we have a special guest who's actually coming for this. So uh, I'll just I'll just give it at a high level. So Chainlink cross-chain inter inter interoperability protocol launches and enters uh, mainnet. And uh, we were going to cover this later, but uh, I'm sure you can guess who we're going to have on. <laughs> CCIP. <laughs> talk about Chainlink. You, you yeah, very excited yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. But by the way, uh, Dan, does this uh, like you've mentioned earlier that you guys have uh, cross-chain uh, plans on uh, Pendle? Is CCIP, for example, uh, one of the things you guys are uh, considering for that? But we launched before CCIP was launched. So, okay, so just share a little bit. We actually were in talks with uh, Chainlink about about this before CCIP was launched. Uh, but then uh, it was quite a, quite a while ago, and we we needed something uh, ASAP. So at the moment, we're actually using Layer Zero's cross-chain messaging system. But it's pretty, uh, I'll say, pretty modular. Uh, we can use layer zero for one chain, but we can also use um, XLR for another chain or anyone for uh, any other chain. So yeah, it depends on how, almost it depends on how secure it is uh, based on a cross-chain messaging system. But yes, yeah, CCIP is something that we've looked into and we pretty pretty interesting, interesting to see. Do you want to give a high level explanation of what it does? Uh, I can't really say for sure on the technical side, but it's pretty much a cross-chain messaging system. Set messaging from one chain to another, but on, on the technical side, I can't I can't really comment on that. I think uh, what I think what's cool about CCIP would be um, uh, them integrating into the whole link ecosystem and how they enable the cross chains uh, cross chain stuff or uh, cross chain messaging with link. Um, not too familiar on exactly how many validators are there, how secure are there, and how how constrained are there, or whether it's the, the, the entire multi sig is held by one CEO. Can't really comment on that. So, in other news, we have uh, Safe who announced Gnosis Pay uh, this week. Uh, they announced a partnership with Euro stablecoin Monarium, who is going to be helping with on and off chain payments. So, Safe, we, I believe it's, are we talking about the same thing? Safe and Gnosis Pay? Uh, I think so. It's exactly what you've mentioned uh, yesterday yeah. with the new uh, card, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Are you guys, Dan? Are you guys going to be using uh, Gnosis Pay for your uh, like financing needs, no. payment needs? Uh, no, perhaps not. I think it'll dox a lot of the uh, the team members. But um, ah, right, yeah. So perhaps not. I think also, what, what do you think, think of it? What, what do you think about it as like as a person who's like got a treasury and running it? I mean, it, like. So when would you use this product? It works for DAOs when yeah. participants are public. But for, I think, most companies, I think even Uniswap, it's more like a Web2 company running a Web3 product where mm. I think most of, most, most of the team members wouldn't even be crypto familiar. I would think the front-end front -end developers are not crypto-savvy, and you've paid them, and uh, USDC might be a deal-breaker for them, uh, for some of them. So I really think it's more targeted to DAOs. Where you need tra more transparency. The transparency here is the key. Yeah, I think eventually, if one day panel transitions to a DAO, it's something that we can potentially explore. Um, but 
probably most protocols out there at the moment wouldn't even bother using it. I think it'd be interesting for like a like retail card as well too. You know, you have all those other like bank cards where you have to keep your money in like centralized exchange, like crypto.com or something else. And this is really like the first product where you can store your funds in a safe and just put USDC in there and then use, use USDC to pay for things off chain. Oh, uh, that's, that's what in you're real life. Yeah. I think it's um, the most anticipated uh, use case of the common folks. Like uh, for me, it's the most anticipated uh, use case. You know, just give me a, a real decentralized uh, debit card. Like, yeah, it's a game changer for me. But honestly, I'm not sure it's uh, the first, but I think I have kind of a moat because it's Genosis safe, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I think the name I, is there. I think that is, yeah. So in other news, what else do we have here? We have, uh, let's see. Oh, Dragonfly Capital has led a six million dollar round into uh, stablecoin developer Athena. I believe that's how you, Athena or Athena, depending on how you produce or pronounce ETH. Uh, essentially, this is a stablecoin like UXD, which uh, maintains off-chain order books in like Terabit or uh, OKX or somewhere, uh, or even maybe in through like other perpetual providers uh, to essentially allow for a delta hedged uh, position to be taken. So you essentially deposit ETH and then you're shorting ETH. And uh, then you can essentially create a stablecoin against that. Um, a lot of people have thought about this. Arthur Hayes has talked about this recently in some of his blog posts. And uh, it is a really interesting idea. The, the question is just like, really, where do you get the, the amount of open interest that you need to, to make this thing scalable? I mean, there uh, are already other protocols that are doing this live uh, at the moment. So you can use, use like, them as a case study. Oh, like UXD? Uh, UXD, On yeah. Solana? Some, some, something yeah. similar like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know of any other ones? Um, there were a few. I, I can I can look it up. I think UXD was the one that survived the longest. Uh, yeah. But I remember UXD had quite a few competitors back then, and people comparing them between one another. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's an interesting product because it relies on, on a highly liquid perpetual market to exist and uh, not stay negative for long periods of time. Um, yeah, which is is really the risk, right? Because essentially, what you're saying is that first you need to have a a deep and liquid perpetual market that you can enter into these trades with and not have a ton of slippage. Uh, and then second, the uh, or it's not even about slippage, right? It's more just about like the funding rate that you're going to be paying. If the funding rate can stay either like above zero or even zero for long periods of time. Uh, the protocol will actually make money, and it'll be an interesting idea. However. If those funding rates go negative, where shorts are paying long, now the whole system breaks, and uh, you have a, a very badly, uh, or like you you have negative revenue or negative revenues. Didn't the... didn't UXD have a safeguard where if you know it's negative funding rate for, for a long period of time, they'll switch the they'll switch their um, position from uh, short to uh, long long proposition and short E position, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but how do you how do you build that position though? Who's gonna like you have to be short ETH and then or sorry, you have to be long ETH and then So you have to be short ETH and right, long perps. Long long in the perpetuals yeah. and short in the ETH short in ETH. But how do you even build that position when you're holding spot? Because the whole idea was that you'd like hold spot and 
and you're essentially like making that spot trade delta neutral on chain borrowing no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just joking but uh, there are not i'm not i'm not sure i didn't really read too deep into it but yeah i'm, I'm with yeah. you on that that i have no idea how to build that position so the i'm just going to pull this up uh uxd did launch it's been out for over a year and uh it's market cap even in the solana bull market uh only peaked at about 40 million dollars and you can see when things went to to shit last year <laughs> or like no this was december 2022 right somebody pulled off a big position here so uh everybody talks about this it's been really hot topic but the numbers shown that no, nobody's really done it right yet it's it's not had the uptake that people think it's going to have because just because there's a lot of risk it like you, instead of taking uh like risks of holding like a fiat stable coin now you have exchange risk, you have the other contract risks, and you also have the the funding risks that we talked about. Um, so I don't know, we'll see if this one can play out. Somebody's got to do it sometime. <laughs> yeah, not simple. Yeah. So, but it, it again, it, I think it just shows like, you know, how would how how, how desirable is the whole uh, stablecoin uh, market? Like everyone is trying to solve it. It's so important. Everyone wants mm -hmm. a piece of it. Uh, like it, it, it's just uh, it's one of the biggest narratives, uh, like within our whole industry by far. Yeah, it's and sort of like a winner takes all space, honestly, for stablecoin. Yeah, you think? Mm -hmm. You don't see yeah. it as in lack of a because I do because I think it's starting to appear like a kind of a oligopoly style. You know, the, where it's like, uh, I think they're going to have like uh, five or six big players and uh, pretty much uh, they're going to control like 90% of the stablecoin market. I hope it is that way, but it really it really seems like the whole point of smaller stablecoins at the moment is to exit to other stablecoins for you to actually use it to buy something uh, <laughs> at the moment. So it's really, really hard if you're a small stable. I don't even think Frex is there yet. As popular as they are, it's still used as I think mostly as a way to exit to either USDC or USDT for you to buy something uh, on chain. They still need uh, some real-world uh, use cases, for sure. Yeah, Not even real-world, even on-chain. There's very few liquidities actually paired with Frex. Um, so if you want to buy a token, you'll, you'll end up selling Frex back to some other tokens to purchase, you know, whatever. Yeah, but isn't it the same with DAI as well, too? I think DAI, there are still quite a few assets that are paired straight with DAI. Um, mm. at, at least back then, before DAI was uh, now RevUSDC, um, there were quite a few protocols that were actually using DAI as like their main stablecoin. Even OM back then, not a bad example again, but uh, their their bonds were taking in DAI as their main stablecoin. So, so the, I actually we we wrote a bit yesterday for Flywheel uh, about like this new stablecoin rating agency called Blue Chip. So Blue Chip launched to big fanfare last week. Uh, it's got a lot of heavy hitters who have funded it. And uh, it is a stablecoin rating agency. So you can come here and you can uh, see that, uh, oh, they actually added something for liquidity. So um, they have grades, right? So you see that uh, A grades go to like Binance USD, liquidity, Pax Gold, Gemini Dollar. They, this is new. So this is essentially like what we talked about in the article uh, where um, uh, it's really hard. Uh, let me let me just preface this, okay? So uh, 
blue chip was created in the wake of the UST Luna collapse. It was a uh, response to the poor metrics and analytics and narratives around algorithmic stablecoins at the time, which had no collateral backing. And it, I don't know if you guys remember, but back during the time when UST was at its height, uh, it was thought of almost as like a very highly rated gold standard way to put your money into. And that, you know, just put your money into Anchor. You yeah. had <clears throat> all these like startups developing these neo banks where they would take in customer funds, their savings, and then swap it into Anchor and use that as the as the savings rate. Uh, and in the wake of of the collapse, a lot of people had to like look around and and wonder, okay, what <laughs> what is the actual safety of these stable coins? And that's where Blue Chip came from. So Blue Chip's purchase purpose is is not to rank like the best stablecoin or like the stablecoin with the deepest liquidity or the stablecoin with, I don't know, the most use cases in the real world. The only thing that they're primarily looking at is if you put $1 of value or like even like $1 or one gold ounce worth of value into this thing, like what is the probability of you getting your funds back? And they rank it based on that. So they're looking at reserves they're looking at collateral makeup jurisdictions like is the team in on or not like how do the on-chain on uh mechanics work contracts like what they're essentially just looking at risks because their whole goal is to uh ensure that that people don't lose money again like they did in in the ust collapse so we talked about this yesterday because the the frax community has looked at this and said that their uh their rating system which is called smidge let me see if i can make this a little bit better so it's stability management implementation decentralization governance and externals implementation and externals are not currently used right now but uh stability was the big kind of sticking point where uh they they threw the idea of stability around but stability doesn't actually mean uh peg stability it's more about resilience of the collateral and uh, how those reserves are treated once they go into the protocol. And I think that was the, the main issue. If they had named this something else other than stability, there probably wouldn't have been the, the kind of pushback from the Frax community. And the main thing was, is that like, uh, Sam brought this up. I don't know if you can see this chart, but the top chart is the LUSD chart and the bottom chart is the Frax chart. And uh, Frax got a, a significantly lower uh, sta stability rating, even though it's, its peg rating has been uh, very good, only because of the one down day from the UST, USDC DPEG. Uh, while LUSD is all over the place, it goes up to like 105, it goes down to one. Uh, it's not really like a stable, stable coin, and it doesn't really have the liquidity that Frax does, uh, but yet it gets the higher stability score. And so there was a lot of back and forth in the community. You can come read this full article. Thankfully, Ethereum, who is the creator of the uh, ratings, has has been in the chat. He's been a longtime Frax uh, community member. Uh, he's been there. He was answering everybody's questions, uh, and so it's a really good read. And so we get into like different ideas about like what a stablecoin should be, uh, what their kind of rating system is looking at, and and some things that they could look differently. And they they have actually listened because this this little mark here was not here before. And now it says that like LUSD often trades above $1, right? Which, which could be bad. 
if you were like taking debt and you're like leveraged on debt with LUSD, if it goes up, that means your uh, debt levels go up and you could get liquidated, um, even though prices don't really change on the collateral side. So um, good to see them actually listening and being open to comments and, and uh, evolving. Would you, would you think that uh, resiliency would have been a better name for, uh, for that? Stability. Yeah, but they wanted to come up with like a word, right? So it's like smidge, but like armage doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really work, right? <laughs> I guess they could go with like merge or something like M-I-R-G-E. But uh, yeah. And by the You're way, like who, are these, uh, who are the people behind uh, Blue Chip? Like, uh... Uh, it is a group of economists that is uh, well-respected. Well Uh, and then it's been funded by donations because it's a nonprofit funded by donations from uh, Rune Christensen, from, from Dai, uh, as well as Eli Ben Sanson. And then uh, I forget the guy who is um, uh, here. Let me, let me just bring this up again. Uh, so this is their advisors. So a bunch of economists at GMU, uh, very well-respected economists. Also Nick Carter and Amin. Uh, from Spank Chain. So oh, wow. they've got some pretty pretty heavy hitters on here. And let me see if I can find the other part where the team is. Um, no, I can't find that right It's now. It's like a standard and for stable What's coins. that website, uh, Sam? Bluechip.com or what? Bluechip.org. Bluechip.org. Oh, okay. uh, here's the team. So these are the three guys who run it. Uh, Benjamin Levitt, Garrett Jones, and Ethereum. And uh, very smart. Like if you look at their ratings, they're very, they're very well thought out. Uh, it, they put a lot of time into going through every single major stable coin. They, they produce reports for all of them. Uh, they've, they've clearly detailed their framework, uh, which is public and transparent. And anyone can go and, and run the same metrics that they run uh, because they try to be as, uh, what, what, what would be the word? Um, There's, there's not really any ratings, which they're just pulling a score out of nowhere for, right? Um, uh, the, the, the ratings are really tried to, to based on facts. There's as much factual uh, information in, in here as we can. So uh, it's, it's, I think the, the closest thing that we could get to a, uh, a good rating agency as, as possible. I don't really understand like too much what more they could do. Probably just looking at like liquidity, And, uh, you know, like adding in more disclosures about like how the stable coins trade themselves, especially the, uh, the floating rate ones like Rye and, and Liquidy. Well, cool. <clears throat> uh, I think it's going to wrap it up for today. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. It was great having you, man. You're not only a great uh, growth uh, guy at uh, Pendle, you're also a great reply guy. <laughs> Great yeah. what? Sorry? A great reply guy uh, on the stream. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll love to be a reply guy here. Let me well, know if you guys don't have enough people. I'll be a reply guy. So people can find you. If you can't see the stream, you can find Dan at TheDangleDan on Twitter. And uh, where else? Where, like, where can people find you? I'm the most active yeah. on uh, our Discord, the, the Pendle Discord. That's where I spend nice. most of my time, just hanging around with the uh, panel community. We have a free fun chaps uh, around the community. So, yeah, do come and say hi. Well, that's great. And good uh, luck with uh, Pendeleon, guys. Respect. Yeah. 
and you're welcome to come back anytime when you got more panel news for sure thanks for coming on everybody we'll see you tomorrow cheers